right, Shabbat Shalom. It's not the Holy Ghost. It's just me walking up to the front. Everybody's looking around. They're like, where is he? What kind of gimmick has he got pulling this week? I don't have any gimmicks this week, but I do have this beautiful yard sign. Yay! Especially for those of you who kind of live out in the country. We want all God's creatures at the church. So we want Bambi. The more venison, the better. You know, I'm, I'm a huge venison fan. So um, a lot of announcements this week, but I'm going to kind of get into it for you guys. We do have yard signs out there by the welcome, uh, the welcome counter, the, uh, the coffee bar. For those of you who have any interest in taking one, um, putting it on your balcony, putting it in your yard. Uh, don't put it in your windshield. That's dangerous. Um, unless you have a 12-passenger van and you're putting it in the very, very back, then maybe that's a good, great idea because that's great promotion for us. Uh, but um, these are there for everybody who, who wants to take one, put them up in your yard. I uh, want to tell everybody that we know. Interesting, fun fact. Um, this week, my children all had an eye doctor's appointment. And as they were sitting there getting their eyes checked, uh, the guy goes, now you guys are those messianics, right? And my wife was like, uh, yeah, why? He goes, you all have a church, right? She's like, yeah. He's like, there ain't many of those out there, is there? And she's like, well, no, actually, there's actually quite a few. Even, even in this area, there's, there's quite a few of them. And he goes, well, you have one right down there by the Norman Moore line, you know, Hebraic something or other. She's like, yeah, that's our church. Why? And he goes, I saw your banner out there, and he's like, you know, I thought maybe those were those people who come to my office, and so, so he may uh, he may stop in and check out our vision, see if our vision is good or not. Uh, no pun intended, complete pun intended. So there's yard signs there for anybody who uh, who has a desire uh, to take one for themselves. Uh, we have the ladies' prayer gathering next Sunday at Lynn Drosher's. Uh, so for all of the ladies who uh, want to get together for some fellowship and uh, a time of uh, refreshing uh, prayer and uh, dialogue, um, make sure to get with Lynn and know how to get to her place. I think it's going to be a fantastic time that's there. Uh, Lynn has assured me that she has a to-do list for Carlos, so he will not be around. Um, I don't know what that means, but I feel for you, brother. <laughs> um, we have uh, some exciting guest speakers who are going to be coming over the next couple of months. Uh, Ryan White of Rooted in Torah is going to be here in March. Uh, hi, Tai Tai. Yeah, he turned around and run. See, that's the quickest way to get him to stop. Um, and so Ryan White is going to be here in March. He's going to be uh, our guest speaker. Um, for those of you who have attended Tabernacles and uh, Chandler, uh, you've had a chance to hear him speak. A very, very intelligent man, great heart, great family man. Uh, one of the big reasons why we're bringing him in, he's a great family man. And so um, super excited to have him, as well as uh, uh, a friend of mine who we're in the talks with to possibly bring in in the month of April. And I won't give his name away yet, but a uh, uh, good guy, uh, also a pastor of a congregation in Nashville, Tennessee. And so we're working on trying to bring him in. So we have some uh, some nice guest speakers coming in over the next couple of months. How many of you guys are ready for Passover and Purim yet? Yeah? You counting down the days? All right, awesome. I am too. You know, we're counting down the days. 
about Dr. Jones. Yes, let me give you an update on Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones was moved from ICU middle of this week. Um, he was still had some small blockages and clot-like things in his lungs. Um, I heard yesterday that they believe that they have completely dissolved. Um, and they're going to do a couple more tests, but they're going to keep them for about another week. Um, so what was a very scary situation with blood clots in the lungs of, uh, of Dr. Jones um, seems to be a, a miraculous healing. And so he's got a long way to go, um, but he did send me a picture drinking a cup of coffee, which is uh, his second love. And so um, he's slowly but surely getting back. So um, we've got a lot, of, uh, a lot of people who are sick, a lot of illnesses. Thank you all for who saw on Facebook last night that Jude's blood sugar was uh, dangerously low for like six hours and prayed. Uh, quick update on him. He uh, finally ate some Jolly Ranchers. It's the only thing he would suck on. And he was, uh, blood sugar went up pretty quickly. And he was able to sustain throughout the night. And by this morning, he was up before I was. And so he did not know anything about a Sabbath day rest today. So, uh, but he's up kicking and he's doing well. And so thank you for everybody who prayed for that. We have, I saw Stephen, uh, we have an outreach gathering and coming up this week, uh, for those of you uh, who can attend, please see Stephen and Leisha Drews. We're also going to announce it on our Facebook page as well. And so uh, if you have an interest in uh, being a part of the outreach uh, this week, please see them. Um, we have a, a, a technical, I guess, uh, announcement. I don't like really giving these announcements, but um, need to anyways. And that is, is that the HFF website is in transition from the website we had to a new website um, that was supposed to be done this uh, week. However, uh, the Lord had other plans, and uh, it's been postponed a little bit until Mike Ophel has a chance to get everything kind of put back together with his family. And so if those of you who had signed up to be reoccurring uh, givers and your ties and that that were done through that, you will not see that come out of your bank account from Thursday on. So we are working on getting that all set up at a different place and all that kind of stuff, and we'll let you all know how to do that. We'll send an email out for all of you on that as well. But you should not see any of the reoccurring monthly um, tie checks that you give or offerings that you give come out from this past Thursday on. We don't store your credit card, and so we'll have to reach back out and have you reset that up. And so we're very sorry for the inconvenience of that, uh, but we also are, are saving about $1,000 a year on website, which I think is a better use of the Lord's resources. So $1,000 can go a long way to a lot of people in this community. It doesn't need to go to a mega, mega corporation in Seattle, Washington. And so um, I think that's it. I've rambled on long enough, long enough to get a lot of people through the door. Nobody wants to hear me. So let's go ahead, stand up, say Shabbat Shalom to your neighbors, say hi, and then we're going to join in a time of prayer before we get started in praise and worship. Okay, if I get everybody to start settling back down again. Y'all can pick up where you left off at Oneg. <laughs> okay. Shabbat shalom. Good to see everybody here this morning. There's some a lot of things that we can be praying for this morning. Uh, especially we need to we just need to remember Mike and Melissa. Uh, their house burnt down Wednesday night and they have lost everything 
so we just need to, Mike is there right now with some adjuster, they're looking at things. Uh, they do have insurance, and so there are some things that are being taken care of, but continue to lift them up, because uh, uh, I don't know if you, I, I mean, I'm still, I'm just heard about it this morning, and I'm kind of bummed out about it. I'm just kind of taking it in. So uh, if you can imagine what it'd be like for you to have everything you own gone. So uh, just pray for them. Uh, good to see Rosemarie again here this morning. Keep, keep her in your prayers as she continues to recuperate from her foot surgery. And uh, pray for Patrick. Uh, he's still waiting for the results uh, uh, from his test, from the, his treatment. The good news is that he doesn't glow, so that's probably a positive thing. <laughs> All right. And it's good to see Daniel Musson back. So we need to you know, we need to continue to pray for him as it seems like he's being attacked every Sabbath with something. So um, all right. Any anybody have any prayer requests that they want to mention to the congregation? My sister-in-law that you've been praying for for a month or so that's had the, the cancer on her shoulder. Uh, she's been going through a lot of treatments and stuff. She's been at home, but the uh, day before yesterday, she got pneumonia and had to go back into the hospital. So continue to pray for uh, Ann. Remember to pray for Ann. And, and as Chris already mentioned, we need to keep uh, David Jones in our prayers. Many of you who were at Sukkot last year remember him. Uh, fantastic guy, so we just need to remember him. Okay, anybody else have anything else that we need to be praying for? Okay, well, I'm going to give you a few minutes to quietly come before the Lord and prepare your hearts and, and to pray for some of the things that God puts on your heart and for the things we mentioned, and then I'll close this.
we come before you this morning with uh, heavy hearts, with a lot of things on our hearts, that, uh, uh, things that are going on with uh, people that we know here in our fellowship, and uh, we lift them up to you. We ask that you would uh, uh, respond positively to the request that we have brought before you this morning. We pray for the worship team as they lead us in worship and ask that uh, our time of worship might be pleasing to you, a sweet aroma to you, and that uh, uh, you would bless it. For uh, Chris and for Daniel, as they bring the message, uh, we ask that you would uh, direct their words, that everything that they say uh, might be yours. And uh, we pray that you would open up our ears and our hearts and minds to, to listen to whatever is being said by you this morning and that we would uh, respond in a, in a way that would cause us to, to uh, be more Christ-like. So we commit this time to you this morning. We ask that you bless it, and, and we, uh, we thank you for all that you're going to do in Yeshua's name. Let's all stand up. Let's all take a deep breath in and out. I know it's not Erev Shabbat. I know it's the morning. We just rinse off the world, rinse off our jobs, rinse off anything else that's happened this week. Let's just focus in on the Creator. Adonai Zavahot, the Lord of hosts. We have a lot to be thankful for this week. We have a lot to give praise for this week. And the Ophel family was, was kept safe when the fire raged through their home at the hands of El Shaddai, the mighty. Those who are sick have been healed. And there's all kinds of unspoken prayer requests that I don't even know what the Lord is working on in your life right now. And to Him and Him alone, we give all the praise and all the glory for what He is doing. For He alone is worthy of our praise. You alone are worthy, God. You alone we praise. You alone are worthy, God. Our eyes are whole. Our eyes are whole. Adonai Zavahot You alone are worthy God You alone we praise You alone are comforter We will praise you today 
You alone are worthy, God. There is no other name. You alone are worthy, God. We will praise your name. Behind the veil, the Lord over heaven and earth, God of Israel. Come with your wisdom and power, clothed in your honor and strength. Lord, hear the cry of our hearts, come, O conquering King. And every hour we'll see Your glory fill the sky On a night, on a night Every knee will bow to you, Lord Most high on a night, on a night You know that God every tongue will cry out on a night Praise is lifted on high. Hear the beautiful gates long to see you arise. When all is thy Every knee will bow to you, though. Most high, I don't know. 
You are Lord over all the earth. Father, as much as this world may want to uh, worry about the things that we see on the news, worry about politics, worry about all these things, Father, we trust in you. We're more worried about when we get to see Yeshua, when we get to see Mashiach coming, and getting our hearts right, and getting our lives right. So that we can declare that as one people with nothing, nothing in us, nothing on us. Just pure and holy the way that you created us to be, Father. Father, come and cleanse our lives. Come and cleanse our minds, Father. Renew us. Renew us, Father, as we head towards the spring feast, Father. And just like Esther saved your people, Father. May we be saved through the blood of Yeshua, the Messiah, Father. How we long for the day when we will see the Lion of Judah roar. You're the lion, you're the lamb who was 
hands from earth to touch your heart in glorify Yahweh your name is a strong and mighty tower your name is a shelter like no Forgive us for becoming fearful. Father, forgive us for becoming complacent. Because you have given us the breath of life, Father, that we would spend our life growing closer to you. Father, forgive us for being fearful for what we may not know. Forgive us for not trusting you in our fear.
Father, forgive us for not trusting in you when we don't know where we should go or how we should go.
Let me be 
that we proclaim. Yeshua is the Lamb who is worthy. The Lamb who will rule in power. Who will reign in glory. To whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that He is King. That He is Lord. That He is mighty. That He is our salvation. Yeshua. And we will not compromise on that. Yeshua is salvation. There is no other way but through Him. He is good. He is so good. It is good to be back with you guys here this week after a couple of weeks of uh, various maladies and so forth. So um, I was able to join you guys online and laugh at all the parts you guys laughed at. So, uh, uh, But this week's uh, first five comes out of the Torah portion, Bo. So this is a real easy Hebrew word for everybody to learn, Bo. Yeah, real easy, right? It means, in the context, it either means go or come. And it all depends upon the context within which it's given. But it's an action word. It's going somewhere, essentially. And so we see that what happens here in this parasha is that we go through, we've been reading for the last couple of weeks, the story of the Exodus and the plagues that that came upon Egypt by the hand of the Almighty. And we see here the culmination of these plagues, the 8th, ninth, and 10th plagues played out. And through these plagues, we see that the kingdom of Egypt, which is the, the biggest, most powerful kingdom on the face of the planet at this time in history, is brought to its knees. And so we can take from that that sometimes a government shutdown isn't that bad of a thing. But we see here that as the kingdom is brought to its knees and the children of Israel are able to be led out into freedom, we see the institution of Pesach. This wonderful celebration that we will be enjoying here in just a few months. And so we see that this this story then brings us to the culmination of the Exodus story, which is going to be Mount Sinai and the giving of the instructions. Now, this Passover that took place, what did this passing over look like? So, we, we hear the story, we've all seen the movie The Ten Commandments probably, okay? Um, maybe I'm um, revealing my age with that, but... Uh, so this movie, The Ten Commandments, we see them all rushing around and, and getting the, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and, and then rushing into their homes in order to be in their homes before dark because they were to then eat a meal, and the angel of death was to come over Egypt and take the firstborn males, okay? And so we see that what happens is Adonai says, I will protect you. When I see the blood on the doorposts, I will not allow the angel of death to come in. Now, typically we, we kind of think like, Oh, there's this spooky specter that's running around, and oh, there's blood on that door. I can't go there, okay? 
Um, if we know, uh, those of us who have heard Rico's uh, Threshold Covenant teaching, um, if you've heard what I, my personal interpretation of the ark, uh, in the Noah's ark, that what happened in my personal opinion was that the father, it says the father closed the door himself. And in my opinion, he grabbed the door and he closed it in. And he was on the ark with them, traveling with them. Okay? In the same fashion, I believe that this was an occasion where the father entered the homes that had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their homes. The father entered and he dwelt with them. And where he is, death cannot exist. Therefore, with his presence in their homes, death could not come in. It says in John 10, 9, Yeshua says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. It says again in Exodus 12, For Adonai will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood and the lintel on the two doorposts, Adonai will pasach, pass over the door, and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. Okay? Now, the interesting thing about this word pasach is it really doesn't mean to pass over. That's, that's the English translation we've been given. But really, it means more to protect. I will protect you and not allow the destroyer to come in. So by having the blood of the lamb painted on the doorposts of our hearts, we are then protected from the destroyer. Now, there are thousands of parallels that we could give here about this lamb that was slain and its blood was put on the doorpost. It had to be perfect, spotless, without blemish in the same way that our master came without sin. Your lamb shall be unblemished, a male one year old. You may take it from the sheep or of, from the goats, Exodus 12.5. The lamb had to be without blemish in order to symbolize Yeshua who had neither sinned nor committed any sins. As it is written in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Messiah. It is only by the blood of Messiah that we can be saved. It is only by the blood of Messiah that we can be protected from death. For we will never see death. We will see eternal life. For to die is gain. We must keep in mind that it is not by obedience to the Torah that salvation is merited. It is by faith in Him, the one who gave the Torah. We all begin life no different than an Egyptian firstborn. We are all destined for death. Only by accepting our Pesach sacrifice, Messiah, only by applying His blood to the doorposts of our hearts, Will we be saved? We will be protected from the destroyer. Why? Because Romans 10 verses 4 and 5 say this. For Messiah is the goal 
of the law, not the end. He is the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moshe writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. Let us never forget that Yeshua paid the price to redeem us from our slavery. We were slaves in our own Egypt. And he paid the price. As the firstborn of the father, his Pesach, his protection, his dwelling within the hearts of our homes grants us the opportunity to enter into obedience to his Torah. Free from our obligations to our sinful natures. And he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for this Shabbat that you've given us. The day that you have set aside within your instructions to us and said, Come, my children, meet with me, and I will meet with you, and I will make you my dwelling place. I will protect you. I will save you. And no death shall touch you. We thank you that you have made these promises to us. And that you've given us a remembrance week after week to rejoice in your promises. So Father, in your Son's name, we pray that you would think, make these things real in our lives on an everyday basis. That we would recognize that it is only by the blood of your Son that we can be redeemed. We thank you, Father. We pray these things in your name. Amen. And now let's have the kids come up. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. What a wonderful group of kids we have this week. <clears throat> Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for each and every one of these precious souls, these children that we have before us here and those that are not with us today, Father. We pour out a special blessing upon them and we pray that you would lift them up, that you would encourage them, that you would instruct them, Lord. Lord, you've put them in our care and you've entrusted uh, their care to us, the parents and the elders, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would always give us your words of wisdom, your instruction, Father, that we would speak life into them. So Father, I pray that you would give us that wisdom, that you would encourage us, the parents, as well as any elder that has an opportunity to speak life into a young child, Father. I pray that it be your words, your instruction, and that you would pour out your spirit and surround them in your perfect will. So Father, we pray that you would make the sons to be as Ephraim and Manasseh, make them fruitful and multiply and make them righteous men before you. And Father, I pray that you make the daughters to be as Ruth and as Esther and make them righteous daughters of Zion and may words of kindness and your mitzvot be in their mouths always. So Father, we pour out a blessing upon them. Father, we pray that you would turn your face toward them, lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. 
It's in your son, Yeshua, that we pray all of these things on this Sabbath day. Amen. All right, kids, we have a kids' class for you today, ages 4 through 12. You are free to go to your class. Shabbat Shalom. I say this often, but I'll say it again. We are very blessed with our congregation here, are we not? Man, um, today is a beautiful day. Today's Shabbat. Do you feel rested? I feel really good about today. Like, I feel really relaxed and rested. The worship session was amazing. Um, yeah, this is really good. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we bless you. We bless your name. We thank you for the gift that is Shabbat, that we get to be with you. And I ask that our hearts and minds would uh, just be set on you this day. In Yeshua's name, amen. I don't usually talk about the uh, Torah portion much uh, when I get up here to teach, um, but this week's portion is not one to pass over. But um, I love Passover. Passover is probably my favorite holiday. Now, some of you I know are about to stone me and, and tell me how great Sukkot is compared to Passover, but Passover is a pretty great day. And uh, if you're like me and if you're like many others in the faith, Passover is kind of your entry uh, into some sort of messianic walk. Passover is usually an introduction for many, many people into this version uh, of our faith. It's beautiful. It's filled with memory. It's filled with um, great symbolism and meaning, especially in regard to Messiah. So it's something that people who are already passionate about Messiah and are following Messiah can relate to very heavily. It's something that speaks to their heart dearly and gets you interested. Wow, what else am I missing? Um, I was already listening to the uh, Prince of Egypt soundtrack, I think a couple days ago in the office and kind of tearing up. Probably my favorite movie of all time. Um, but it's cool. You know, the way the tour portions are set up is cool because here just a couple months before Passover, we start talking about Passover. It, be, it gets on our minds, and we start uh, preparing and planning ahead for that. Um, some of my best memories and just powerful moments of faith are tied into Passover. I remember the very first time um, I ever kept Passover and, and saw the beauty you know, in the Seder, and something that at one point in your life is communion, you know, just a quick, as Monty brought up in the broadcast last night, just a quick like five minute, you know, exchange that you do in church now becomes this whole drawn out night where you realize all this, this beauty and richness and how what Messiah did is, is so much a part of God's greater story of redemption. It's beautiful. And um, I've had the honor of getting to uh, lead seders and teach Passover to a uh, military base back in California. I did for several years, different church uh, church groups and different small groups. And it's just such a blessing when you see people like it clicks for the first time. You know, when they're breaking the monster, they're going in they're like, oh my gosh, people are tearing up, you know, and, and breaking down. This is so beautiful. Why haven't I been doing this? Um, anyone can relate to that? Yeah. Uh, sadly, also, um, one of my worst memories and experiences of being in this walk is associated with Passover. Uh, 
I remember one time in, in a congregation I was a part of, and I'm going to kind of share a personal story here, but that's okay. I do that with you guys often. Um, one time I was a part of a congregation, and we were having a Seder. Now, um, the team of us who, who were putting on the Passover were kind of split on particular issues regarding Passover and how it should be held and how it should be hosted and whatnot. And long story short, basically, um, the majority consensus, what, what uh, the, the decision that was made was that Passover, our Passover Seder, was only going to be uh, able to, to be attended by those who were, and I quote, in covenant. Um, what that ended up meaning was people who were like us, who kept Torah like us, who believed the same doctrines like us, and if you weren't part of us, you weren't going to be allowed at the Seder. Maybe you can come and learn about the Seder on a different night or something like that. We had a family um, that came to our congregation, a beautiful family, and as is common in the movement, you know, not all couples are on the same page when it comes to this faith. It's, it's very common for um, a wife to attend a Messianic congregation and not her husband or vice versa. And we had one of these scenarios where there was a, a great woman who was attending our congregation. She had beautiful kids who were part of our programs and just loved being a part of our con congregation, found such beauty and life and meaning in it. And um, her husband had attended, I think, maybe one, maybe two events with us. And in my opinion, I think maybe he was even warming up to the idea that, okay, these people aren't like crazy and in a cult and, you know, my family's not going in the wrong direction. Maybe this can be normal and actually good for my family. Um, but he was not messianic. He didn't wear tzitzits. You know, he didn't uh, necessarily eat kosher. So in preparation for this Passover, somehow along the lines, it was told to this gentleman, uh, or to his wife, rather, um, you know, this year for our Seder, we're only having people who are in covenant join and eat the Passover with us. So I'm sorry, but, you know, your husband cannot attend. Uh, she never came back. Her kids never came back. We as human beings can take things that are beautiful and make them not. We can take things that are powerful and full of life and meaning and can miraculously change lives. We can take those things that God gives us and in our own twisting of it can make it destructive and, and hurtful and push people away from God. Tragically, this ends up being a common theme with the nation of Israel. When, when the children of Israel were in Egypt, they were... The oppressed, right? They were the slaves. They were the second-class citizens. We then later see in Israel's history that one of the biggest criticisms of the prophets comes against them that, hey, you are oppressing. You have second-class citizens. You have people. When Israel was in Egypt, they were the foreigner. They were the strangers. They were the ones who spoke a different language, sounded weird. Their customs and culture were weird, and the Egyptians uh, did not like them for that. When we read later on in the prophets, one of the biggest complaints about the prophets is how Israel treated their foreigners, those who were different, those who spoke a different language and had a different custom. And uh, I think, sadly, it's not only in the pattern of Israel, but in our personal patterns that everything that God has done for us and that we've been delivered from 
at some points in our lives, the enemy so tactfully uses us to then become what God has saved us from and delivered us from. This is not compatible with Messiah. And I love Yeshua for it. Yeshua is one of the boldest, on-edge, willing-to-poke-the-bear people I know. And he's not afraid when it comes to defending those that the Father cares about. Um, If you look with me, we're going to go into the book of Luke in chapter 17. And I just want to read a couple quick examples of this that are are incredible uh, before we get into the the heart of the passage that I'm going to look at. We're going to end up looking at Ephesians. Uh, But let's look at Luke chapter 17, starting with verse 11. And it says this, On the way to Jerusalem, he, Yeshua, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now remember, in the time of the first century, uh, Israel was not the entire border of Israel. Basically, Judea was the Jewish nation. You had an area for the Samaritans, but they weren't considered Jews, and and the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And then you have Galilee in that area where Yeshua is from, which was definitely not a part of you know, what we would consider Israel or the Jewish nation uh, in that period with Rome. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between these areas, between Samaria and Galilee up north. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. They lifted up their voices, saying, Yeshua, Master, have mercy on us. Now when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell at Yeshua's feet and gave him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Dun, 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 dun. Right. For us, Samaritan is not really a dirty word. Pharisee is a dirty word, but for us, Samaritan isn't a dirty word. And I'm pretty sure I've brought this up many times up here. Um, Samaritan is a huge dirty word for Yeshua's audience. Samaritans were the worst of the worst when it comes to religious enemies Um, To the Jewish people, Samaritans were, you couldn't get much worse than that as far as religious enemies go. Now he was a Samaritan. Matthew makes point of this. Matthew makes it a point to mention this. Then Yeshua answered, and listen to what Yeshua says. Were not ten cleansed? Because what does the text say? There were ten lepers, they cried out, Yeshua healed them. And one leper came and praised God and fell at his feet. And which one was that? He was a Samaritan. Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. There's another passage in Matthew in chapter 8. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying, paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Uh, But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. So Yeshua accepts, Yeshua says he's going to heal him. He says, I'm not worthy to have you in my home, just speak it and I know that he will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and I say to one, bow, and he bows. No, okay. Um, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now when Yeshua heard this, he marveled and said to those who follow him, truly I tell you, 
with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And these are just two examples. The gospel writers seem to make it a point, um, and like I said, I know I mentioned this so many times, and I'm not apologizing for being repetitive here, um, because it's just a message that needs to be said, especially when it comes to this Passover season. The gospel writers and the New Testament authors make it a point to flip our perspective of who's good, of who's bad, of who's in, of who's out on its head. And constantly throughout Yeshua's ministry, we see him going to those whom we would consider way, way off limits. People oftentimes we would say are not allowed at our Passover seders. Definitely not. They are not in covenant. And he shows examples of people we would discount very easily, but because they have faith, because they trust God, and because they are willing to have God transform them, they are in. It's not, it's not a message of saying there are no boundaries. And it's not a message of saying that, you know, it's kind of a free-for-all where sin doesn't matter and these sorts of things don't matter. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's the message that, you know what, when it comes to who we are with God, we're all on the level playing field in that if we are humble, if we are repentant, and if we have faith in God knowing that no matter what's up with me, if I am willing to be transformed, and if I am willing to repent, and if I am willing to allow God to work on me, I can be a child of God. Because it's about what he can do with me. I'm going to share something else personal with you guys. I hope you don't mind. I know I get way too personal with you guys. Um, so, you know, this might be TMI for a little bit of you. So just, you know, if you're sensitive. Okay. I remember when I got um, circumcised. I'm not going to go into that. Um, but it was later in my adult life. It was into my messianic life. Um, when I ate that first Passover, you know what? I, I didn't feel like this Passover was somehow magically so much more meaningful to me. I didn't feel like, oh, I am now experiencing Passover in a way I've never experienced it before, and wow, I'm so much closer to God now. My first Passover was my best Passover. And the experience and the nearness I had with God was just as powerful then as it was later in my walk when maybe I incorporated things I haven't incorporated before. And my relationship with God before I started eating kosher was just as powerful and life-changing and altering with how I interacted with people when after I started eating kosher. Because what matters to God is someone who is willing and teachable and humble. You can be all the way at the end of the path, but if, but if we are stubborn and hard to work with, but you can be at that very first step. And if you are teachable and repentant and willing and transformable, wow, nothing will get in the way of that. Now, I was, I've been really convicted lately because, like I said, it's easy for us to take things that God has done miraculously in our lives, areas of um, healing and, and forgiveness and, and powerful transformation, that we then take those and we use those against others. We do this when we become messianic, right? Um, it's easy for us to then look at those who we would consider um, further back in the path and have some you know, resentment, some bitterness, some things. But then it's just as easy for us to then say, oh man, Messianics are crazy. Oh man, Messianics are just, they hate Christians and this and that. And then become what you're accusing the people you don't like 
what you're accusing them of, you then become that thing. I've done that. I've been extremely guilty of that. All of us have been guilty at one point in time, I believe, right, of taking things that we don't like and then becoming that to others. Now, this is not new to us. We are not the first people to experience this. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, uh, and we're going to look in chapter 4. The book of Ephesians, uh, the le- letter to the Ephesians, is a really beautiful letter. This letter was written by Paul at the later portion of his writing career. In fact, he is in prison. He is soon to face death. This is one of the last things Paul is going to write. And he's writing to this, uh, not just specifically the congregation in Ephesus, but he's writing to this group of congregations uh, in that kind of area of modern-day Turkey. Ephesus is a big deal. Ephesus is a big city in the Roman world. Ephesus is home to the uh, Temple of Artemis, one of the great wonders of the world at that time. And so it's a capital of this um, worship of Artemis. Now, when we read in the book of Acts, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. He's been there. He's been to these congregations in modern-day Turkey, specifically Ephesus. In fact, we have recorded in the book of Acts where Paul goes to Ephesus and he starts preaching the good news in the synagogues. And he's telling them about Yeshua. And it takes about two months before the leaders of the synagogue are like, get this guy out of here. They boot him, they kick him out, and they start talking bad. Anyone who is following the way needs to get out. They're not welcome here. What does Paul do? Well, he starts preaching in, in right, the, the pagan auditoriums and the pagan places where he can gather other people. And they start coming in. It says he taught there for three years. Now, once again, Ephesus was a capital for specifically this uh, god, Artemis. It's recorded in the book of Acts that they started gathering together for themselves. They're like, okay, guys, we got to do something about Paul. Idol sales are way down. This is what it says in the book of Acts. I'm not making this up. They're like, we're losing money. Economy's tanking with this dude preaching this one God who, you know, doesn't need a form or whatever. We're not selling idols. People aren't buying idols. They think they're bad. Um, Not to mention, we have this great wonder, the temple of Artemis. And is this just going to become nothing? Rubble? Like worth nothing? We need to do something about this. So they rally these guys who are like, great is Artemis, great is, make Artemis great again. And, And they kick Paul out and they kick his people out. They run him out of town. The congregation there in Ephesus were hated and outcast by their Jewish brothers and sisters in the synagogue. And they were hated and outcast by the pagans, by the everyday Roman there in that area. Not only that, they were hated and outcast by the government, right? It would be a long time before the Roman government started liking Christians. For the longest period of time, they would hate them, burn them. You know, put, throw them in with the lions. I mean, this, this. So they were confronted on all sides with division. My Jewish brothers don't like me. My Roman brothers don't like me. The government doesn't like me. Paul, in this letter, so beautifully talks about unity amongst believers. And in chapter four, he starts about to he starts to talk about the application of this. And it says this, starting with verse one, in Ephesians chapter four. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, a.k.a. you are now children of God. You must now act like children of God with all, look at this, humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's something else about the story with Paul and the Ephesians. Now, he was in prison when he wrote this, right? And he's about to die. This is at the end of Paul's life. He doesn't know he's going to die necessarily, but he's going to die. And he talks about being a prisoner, but he's specifically in prison writing to the Ephesians. And he makes mention that it's because of the Ephesians, in a way, that he is in prison, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Paul goes on all these missionary journeys, right? And he's teaching at all these congregations, and he's telling people about the Messiah, and people's lives are being transformed. They're deciding to join the faith. They're being radically transformed. God's doing amazing things. People are being healed. Like, it's blowing up for followers of Yeshua. He comes back to Jerusalem, and they start telling of all these amazing things that God is doing with them. And what's the report he gets from the council in Jerusalem, from Peter, James, and the guys? Wow, that's awesome. Praise God. Hey, Paul, by the way, people are saying like you hate Moses and the temple and that you're teaching against this stuff and uh, we need to kind of squash this because it's, it's looking real bad for us. What's, what's their conclusion to that? What do, what do they recommend for Paul? Here's a couple guys who have done a Nazarite vow. Right? Go take them to the temple, pay for their offerings, for the fulfillment of, fulfillment of their vow, the mikvah, all that, and uh, that'll prove that you still value the temple It'll prove you still value the Torah and that you, these rumors that you're teaching against the temple and the Torah and all these things are, are nothing. So Paul says, okay, I'll do it. So he goes. And he goes in. Acts 21, verse 27. When the seven days were completed, right, of the fulfillment of their vow, of this process Paul is doing to take these guys to prove that he's not against his Jewish brothers and sisters, the Jews from Asia, okay, now we're not talking about Asia like we would think, okay? We're not talking about way East Asia. Asia in here is a reference to that modern-day Turkey area where Ephesus would be. Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the crowd, right? Because these were the guys who kicked him out because he was converting all these Ephesians. They stirred up the crowd and they laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere, right? When we get mad at people, we get super dramatic like that, right? Everyone, everywhere, he's teaching them all against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. See, so Paul is proving the point that he's not against temple, the law, all these things. And what happens? Oh, they knew that he was in town with an Ephesian, and so they make this other false accusation, and then Paul gets thrown into prison, and he keeps getting transferred and transferred and transferred, and ends up writing this letter. So when he's writing the letter to the Ephesians, and he's talking about these things, he's like, I, a prisoner of the Lord on your behalf, it's because he got accused of bringing one of them into the temple of God. This leads to a very popular passage in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. 
This is one you're probably well familiar with if you're, you know, a messianic uh, apologist or whatnot. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For he himself is our peace and has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. Everyone say that with me. One new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, we know many people who would use this passage and say, see, Yeshua's work was Jesus got rid of the commandments because commandments are bad and that's what keeps us divided and, you know, God's law is evil and do away with God's law, right? But when we're actually looking at what's going on in the, in the whole scenario, Paul is in prison, why? For a false accusation that he brought a Greek into the temple. Why is this such a big crime? Well, there was a wall there in the outer court of the temple, you know? And they found it. They've excavated and they found this wall where there's this inscription that says, basically, uh, Gentiles be warned, don't go any further, we will kill you. You know, it paraphrased, of course, this isn't the actual. Um, but Gentiles, this is God's house, you are not welcome here. Now, I remember reading in Isaiah, my house shall be, house, shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. But... <laughs> That's not how the Jewish people saw it. If you are not Jewish, sorry, you don't come to God's house. Why is this a big deal? Why is this a big deal? Where would you go in repentance for sins to be cleansed and to you know, make atonement and these sorts of things? Temple. Where would you go during the feast to have nearness to God and to appear before him and temple? Where would you go to bring your gifts, your free will offerings, thanking God for how he's blessed you and tithing all these things? Temple. So if you are not Jewish, you can't be near to God during the feast. You can't have atonement and forgiveness of sins. You can't come and thank God and do these things. You got to become Jewish first. And this is actually Paul's biggest opponent are believers who actually teach and push this. So Paul, in prison, for this scenario, writes to the people of which he is in prison because of and says that in Messiah, that middle wall is broken down. In Messiah, what matters is being one new man, making the two one. That when you have faith, that when you are willing and you are humble and God's Spirit comes and transforms you as a person and you become a child of God, you become a child of God. You are not banned from his presence. You are not banned from intimacy, you know, with the Father. You are not banned from relationship with God until you convert. And that's Paul's biggest enemy in, in all his writings. And that's the biggest misunderstanding we have for people who, you know, have kind of an anti-Torah, anti-commandment agenda. Um, is, is this idea that Paul, Paul is battling two mindsets. One that says, it's your faith, it's your humility, it's your repentance before God that makes you a child of God. Versus those who would say, it's, it's when you convert. You have to take these steps and you have to be and look like us. It reminds me of my Passover, ex negative Passover experience with the family that we had at our congregation. Sorry, you have to do 
A, B, C, D before you can be welcome at God's table. When God says, no, 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 no. If you want to be at my table, you are welcome at my table. I'll clean you up and we can take care of the rest from there. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a requirement to be circumcised to leave Egypt, to be a part of the Exodus. And we, in fact, we see that many foreigners went with them. It was a requirement to be circumcised if you were going to eat of the Pesach, which is a reference directly to the lamb, not to the celebration, not to the meal, not to leaving Egypt, specifically partaking of an offering. There was that requirement there. But there are many who left Egypt who, I would submit, were not. And God definitely did not vet the children of Israel for how great they were before he took them out of Egypt, right? Because then maybe like 10 of them would have come out, right? (laughs) We see in the wilderness, you see, God brings them out. And anyone who has faith and trusts in God, they put the blood and they are God's children. And they are invited to Sinai. And they are invited to be a part of his people. Then God does some vetting. And boy, is it some vetting, (laughs) right? Entire generation lost, thousands of people die. Like it's it's brutal, but God first invites anyone who is willing and has faith. I'm going to close with this verse in Galatians chapter five. Um, Paul writes words that are very um, relatable here. And remember, in Paul's writings, most of the time, circumcision and uncircumcision doesn't refer to the commandment or the act. It refers to two groups of people, circumcision being those who are halakhically Jewish, whether by blood or by conversion, uncircumcision being those who are not halakhically Jewish. So technically, you can have someone who's circumcised and be considered part of the uncircumcision. Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, a.k.a. If, if you accept the message of these other believers in Yeshua, that this is the way to salvation, that this is the way to become a child of God, that you have to fill out your you know, resume first before God, before he accepts you as a child, Messiah will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you're going to judge whether you're a child of God or not based on your resume, well, you better have a resume. Basically, he says, you are severed from Messiah. You who have been justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in the Messiah, Yeshua, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith. Working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty. Whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would cut themselves off. Paul speaking with very strong and graphic language. Uh, I would argue pun intended. Uh, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, You shall love your neighbor as yourself.
But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul's talking to who? The Galatians. So he's saying they are experiencing all this backlash, all this uh, hate, all this offense, but then his advice to them is not to fight fire with fire. He says, you're being persecuted for all these things, and that's not right, but guess what? You love them, and you serve them in love, and you don't bite and devour one another. Later in Ephesians, I know I said I would end with that verse, but you know, any, anyone who stands up here and says they're going to close with that verse, they probably have three more verses. Uh, at the end of that chapter of Ephesians, in chapter 4, verse 31, remember, speaking to the group of people that is being um, assaulted on all sides, having constant division and bickering, he says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Let's all say that together. Be kind with one another. I know you've done this, and I've done this too, where you've said, well, God commands me to love my enemies, but he doesn't command me to be nice to them. Actually, he does, right? <laughs> I can love them, but I can love them without being nice. <laughs> no, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in the Messiah forgave you. He's writing that to the Ephesians, the people who are in the right, the people who are wrongfully doing all these things. Um, my encouragement and my kind of final point of this message would be man is really good at building walls, right? Especially in the temple there, we have a dividing wall saying, Gentiles, you can't come in. And God's really good at breaking them down. And we celebrate and we thank God for all the things he's given to us, he's done for us, he's done with us. And then we become what we were delivered from oftentimes, whether it's with certain groups of people, whether it's in our congregations, whether it's with people, you know, of certain religious persuasions saying, you know, well, they haven't gotten this, this, and this right yet, so they can't. My encouragement, my final point would, would be to, to take the advice of Paul, to take the pattern of the Passover, to take what we see with the message of Messiah, Yeshua, that whether we like it or not, People who have faith in God, people who trust in God, people who are willing to be mended and molded by God are our brothers and sisters. And just like you can't choose your family on earth, you can't choose your heavenly family either. You can't choose your kingdom family. And sometimes we have that sibling that we cannot stand, man, and they will just not get it right. And I, oh, the Lord needs to slap them upside the head. And you know what? He will. And he'll slap us upside the head too a couple times. But our brothers are our brothers. Our sisters are our sisters. And we need to remember that. And we need to love each other. And I am guilty of this. And I want to apologize for times that I have been unloving and unkind to people of a different persuasion than me. Because oftentimes it's in our righteous cause, right, that we think, oh, no, we're doing something great. We're fighting for a good cause that we become what we're preaching against and that we become that enemy. Let's go ahead and close with prayer. Father God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
great and awesome God. We love you. We bless you. We thank you for the special time where we remember freedom, where we remember redemption, where we remember that we can trust in you, that you and you alone are the one that we can put our faith and trust and confidence in. God, we bless you for the gift you've given us, and we ask that you would strengthen us and empower us to be able to give that gift to others, to represent you to others. Let us be ambassadors of you and not ambassadors of Egypt. We bless you and we thank you for the Sabbath day. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. If we could all rise, please. And the Lord spoke unto Moshe and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel." May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom.